0: My friends, today's shocking readings are clearer, I think, to understand uh, when we uh, refer to uh, something that Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, calls uh, the difference between cheap grace and costly grace. Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, was a Lutheran pastor. He was a theologian. He was a, uh, well, a opponent to Hitler. In fact, he Uh, spoke out against Hitler uh, so vehemently that he was ultimately executed in 1945. He says that cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance, baptism without church discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ. Costly grace, he says, confronts us as a gracious call to follow Jesus. It comes as a word of forgiveness to the broken spirit and the contrite heart. Grace is costly because it compels a man to submit to the yoke of of Christ and follow him. It is grace because Jesus says, my yoke is easy in my burning light. My friends, Jesus's words today are surprising. Perhaps not the words we would hope to hear or expect to hear uh, from our Lord, but no doubt we would have preferred something easier, a kumbaya sort of message, but they are his words. Jesus is inviting all of us to reject cheap grace, to reject half hearted discipleship. There is an uncompromising nature to our call as disciples. He's reminding us to pick up our cross and follow him, recognizing course, that we are broken, that we do need a divine physician. We are sinners in need of contrition. And so today we embrace costly grace, which requires us to submit ourselves to the yoke of Christ, which then becomes easy and light for us to bear. Jesus is telling us today that true discipleship costs us. And it is our duty to calculate the cost. He's telling us that we all need a plan. We need a spiritual plan of life. He gives us this tower image, you know, discipleship is hard, he is telling us. It's difficult to truly follow the Lord. Gives us this battle and army image. There is, my friends, a spiritual battle going on for all of our souls, and the enemy is serious real consequences to having no plan. And we the Lord says we should be asking for peace terms. What are these peace terms? Well, total surrender. It's total surrender, servitude, in fact. Surrender to be slaves of Christ. It's the same answer to the tower image as well. We can't complete this tower on our own, but he desires to complete it with us. The Lord is telling us that we cannot do this without him. We must be all in. Our whole heart, mind, body, and soul. My friends, we may follow a lot of people on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, right? Hundreds or even thousands we may follow. Jesus should not be one of them. He's not asking for that kind of commitment so easy to just click, follow another person. No, he wants us to be all in. It must cost us everything. It does cost us everything. He is saying that while discipleship does make us uncomfortable at times, and it is difficult, it is definitely worth it. Peace and joy and complete fulfillment as a human person. Eternal happiness is the reward to truly being a disciple. He also tells us that we are not on our own in this journey. He wants to help us along the way. In fact, Matthew ends his gospel with these very comforting words. I will be with you always to the end of the age. The first reading also should be very comforting. He gives us his spirit to help us along the way. He gives us his supernatural wisdom to help us in this journey. The psalmist, too, says that Jesus is our refuge. This is where he is where we find peace. And by embracing costly grace, we will overcome the curse of the fall. The curse of the fall being the toil and burden of our work. By picking up our cross, we will be led to prosperous hands and prosperous work. And then so beautifully, Paul, in the second reading, he speaks of the freedom that is his, even though he was in prison. He speaks of the freedom of this freed slave, Onesimus, that is ours too, that we are free when we enslave ourselves to Christ. Jesus isn't telling us to hate anyone today. Would the God-man who while on the cross said, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing, really want us to hate our spouse, children, our siblings? Would the God of love and mercy who told us to even love our enemies really want us to hate our parents? Wouldn't asking us to hate our parents and our spouse, our children, our siblings be contrary to his constant Message of love to love the Lord our God with our whole heart, mind soul, and our neighbor as ourselves, didn't Jesus give us a new commandment: Love one another as I have loved you. Jesus doesn't want us to hate our mom and dad or our spouse or kids or our brother or sister he doesn't even want us to hate our own lives for hate isn't exactly what he's expressing here. He's using an idiomatic phrase, a literary technique, a hyperbole, if you will. He used a strong word to get our attention. And because we cannot be half-hearted when it comes to loving the Lord, or our neighbor for that matter. Nothing and no one can be more important than God and our striving to bring about the kingdom through that narrow gate. He is telling us that no one can compare with our love of God. No love can, and that we must root out anyone and anything that is is an obstacle to his love and our return of that love. He's warning us that it is possible to follow him without actually being his disciple. It is possible, he says, to literally be in his presence physically without actually giving him our heart. He's telling us that when we put family and friends, even our own life before God, they become idols of sorts. And we then put the burden of being God on them. We put the burden even of being God on ourselves. He's simply saying that in order for us to truly and rightly love the other, we must love him above all things and above all human persons. He's inviting us into the harmony that existed before the fall, that perfect harmony that existed between Adam and Eve and the Lord, that perfect harmony that, uh, well, the result of that perfect harmony, which was perfect harmony within themselves and with the other, in fact, all of creation. That is the hierarchy. God first, me second, and then the other. My friends, it is important to recognize that these words were spoken by Jesus during what we call the travel narrative in Luke's gospel. It's part of 11 chapters Uh, in which Luke describes Christ's journey to Jerusalem, his journey to the cross where he would endure his passion and death, where he would reverse the curse of the fall, where he would raise us up to that of even the angels above them. It is within this journey that Jesus gives us so many great parables and speaks to us in other ways of what it means to follow him and huge crowds did follow him for sure following him wherever he went no doubt the crowds cheered him when he was critical of corazin and bethsaida for not repenting loud cheers from the crowd you tell him jesus and when he criticized the pharisees calling them painted tombs that looked good on the outside but were rotten on the inside more cheers of agreement, Yes, you go, my Lord. When he spoke out against legalistic and nitpicking ways of the scribes, again, cheers of affirmation. Our Messiah rocks. But now Jesus stops. He stops and turns around, and he addresses the crowd. He addresses all of us and says, if anyone comes to me without hating his father and mother wife and children brothers and sisters and even his own life he cannot be my disciple no more cheering silence crickets my friends jesus insists that we carry our own cross because he knows that in order to carry our own cross Our hands must be free of things and even other human persons. He knows that in order to love him unconditionally and unto death, we must pick up our cross as he did and follow him. Like Jesus, my friends, we are in our own travel narratives, our own journeys to Calvary, and we are invited to pick up our cross, to follow him and to endure our own passion and death to self it leads to true peace and everlasting joy. You know, many people desire to follow Jesus, but without the cross, without personal cost, without the sacrifice he asks of us. Yet, isn't this ultimately what the Lord is asking of us today, a total abandonment? Isn't this what he has been hinting at for our weeks, really, in the lectionary? Do you think that I've come to establish peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather the vision. Strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many will attempt to enter, but will not be strong enough. Go and take the lowest place. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. My friends, these are, these have been difficult messages from our Lord. And we are, as he said four Sundays ago, invited to not be afraid. Because we are his little flock. We are his beloved little flock. And the Father is pleased to give us the kingdom. So we seek costly grace here in this Holy Mass. And we gird our loins and light our lamps and be like servants who await the master's return. Jesus is inviting us to true peace and everlasting joy by rejecting cheap grace and by embracing costly grace. It must cost us everything to give ourselves entirely over to him in total trust and in complete abandonment, to truly enter into the new covenant. He sacrificed himself for us It is now our turn to sacrifice ourselves for him. You know, tomorrow uh, is uh, Mother Teresa's uh, uh, feast day. And she said so beautifully that a sacrifice to be real must cost, must hurt, and must empty ourselves. Give yourselves fully to God, she says. He will use you to accomplish great things, on the condition that you believe much more in his love than in your weakness. You know, my friends, it seems odd, doesn't it? It seems that the Lord is using all his power and influence. He's going out of his way, really, to make discipleship as unattractive as possible. Speaking of hate, picking up crosses, who wants to hear that? Why would the Lord speak such way? or perhaps to ensure that we choose him for his sake and not our own. Not because by following him we'll get some sort of comfortable life, we'll get consolations, these warm fuzzies that we seek. No, because we seek him, we seek the Lord. And because the process, this purgative process, the suffering that is our lot sometimes is necessary to thrive as human persons no pain no gain it does lead us to everlasting peace and eternal joy my friends isn't it time right now here in this holy mass to ask for the grace to truly trust god's plan isn't it time right now to reject cheap grace and to embrace costly grace isn't it time to pick up our cross and follow Jesus in total abandonment, and to truly be his disciple. You know, I want that. Don't you? Who's Who wants to follow the Lord in total and complete abandonment? Let us lock our arms today in battle, here and now. Let's accept the grace of this beautiful mass. Let us renounce our own will and submit ourselves to his holy will and to help him bring about the kingdom. And may God be praised. Amen.